0: From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn, a podcast produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Thomas Phillips. It's the week after a federal election, and we've got a new government. But as the dust settles on the mainstream media's pre-election reporting, some of their oversights are becoming more visible. This week, our executive producer Louisa Lim unpacks the election coverage with Ruby Jones. She's the host of 7am, one of Australia's most popular daily news podcasts. She also tells Louisa about making 7am's election miniseries and the ins and outs of producing a daily news podcast. Before the interview, Ruby had spent the previous evening covering the election at a tense Labour Party event at an RSL club in Grainville, Anthony Albanese's Sydney electorate. Louisa started off by asking Ruby for her biggest takeaway from election night.
1: Like the fact that Labor has won is really interesting given that their, their primary vote is actually really, really low. It's like in the 30s um, and there's obviously so many independents and, and minor parties that have gotten a boost, the Greens as well. Um, and I think what that is kind of telling us is that I think a lot of people really voted for their local community in this election. Um, you saw that particularly with the Greens, I think, Um they, I'm not quite sure what the state of play is now, but they've definitely won one seat in Queensland, which is kind of amazing, I think. I don't think many people predicted that. And um, the seats that they're in contention for, they're surrounding areas that were flooded um, a couple of months ago. And so I think that's pretty clearly people kind of voting for the Greens because of climate change. We saw the same thing happen um, for Labor. Christina Keneally's seat, she was kind of parachuted into that seat. She wasn't really part of a local community there at all, but she had this 14% margin. She lost it for Labor, which no one would have seen coming. It's a huge margin. And I think it's pretty clear that it's because people were like, you're not really properly representing us. And so I think you saw that play out um, yeah, across a
2: lot of electorates. Voters have just got super fed up of the main parties. Yeah. I mean, you've been looking at the electoral system in the vote, and it's bigger mm-hmm. than just looking at party politics. What were the sort of trends that But what did you learn from that series? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think there was a
1: lot of talk before the election about the independents and about the minor parties. And no one was really sure um, how much of the vote they would get. And I think it even outstripped what most people would have predicted. Um, I was kind of interested in um, UAP, Clive Palmer's party, because I think a lot of people thought that they might do quite well. you know, a lot of people, like that protest vote um, off the back of lockdowns, et cetera. But that didn't happen, which I thought was interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, it was pretty clear that no one is very into either Labour or the Liberals right now, I
2: would say. So we were both just at the Sydney Writers Festival. Yes. And I was interested that a lot of people there were talking about how they thought that mainstream media had not done a very good job Mm. of covering the elections Mm. and of political coverage generally. Mm. What is your take on that? Do you think you did something, stuff with 7am that other people weren't doing?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of journalists um, felt like they couldn't trust Uh, what they were seeing and hearing this election because of what happened last time. There was a lot of like myth building around Scott Morrison and his ability to campaign um, and kind of swoop in and, you know, the miracle win of 2019. And so I think even when journalists were seeing kind of quite direct trends, they were quite reluctant to go with what they were seeing and hearing. Um, And then, of course, there was, you know, all of these press conferences that were happening all through the campaign where you had journalists kind of having the cameras trained back on them and it became this real kind of, weird contest, which I think has kind of maybe come out of some of the COVID reporting, all of those long press conferences where journalists became these sort of uh, public figures in a way that they hadn't been before. And I don't really think that that's a good thing necessarily. <laughs> um, and in terms of what we did differently, um, I mean, I think we approached the vote, how we kind of approach 7am in general, which is looking at the like the story of like why something is happening or how something's happening or what kind of bigger idea we can kind of like draw from whatever particular thing we're looking at um, rather than, uh, I suppose, as in opposition to being super reactive to events as they come up. We tend to allow ourselves a bit more space to um, think about events. Um, we don't feel pressure necessarily to, to turn things around straight away. Um, we we think long and hard about what we should cover and, and why we should do it. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that was our approach with the vote as well.
2: And the one that I thought was really interesting, and I wondered why nobody else was really doing, was the series, the mini series that Ruby Schwartz did about oh, Indigenous so yeah. vote. And voter suppression of it of indigenous people, I mean an issue like that, why is it it seems really undercovered,
1: right? I totally agree, yeah, there's been a little bit of reporting um I think there's like one piece in The Guardian from a, a long time ago, but uh it's one of those like very classically under reported and undercovered stories, and I don't entirely know why that is. I mean, it requires quite a lot of resources, I suppose, to go out to um, parts of Australia that are more remote and get on the ground and talk to people, which is what Ruby Schwartz did. Um, And I think she did a fantastic job. I think that was really, really brilliant reporting. um, And I was really proud of that two-parter.
2: Yeah, it was really interesting. So how do you, I mean, there's a whole pile of news podcasts now in Australia, right? (laughs) You've got the full story from The Guardian. You've got the ABC's Daily Show. How do you make 7am distinctive or different? Or is it just kind of an Australian copy of The Daily? Yeah, it's funny because... We've been around, I think we're now
1: the longest standing daily news podcast, so The Signal, the ABC Signal came out first um, and then 7am was next. I wasn't part of it then. Um, so it was established like quite early on and it was clear the daily influences were very clear in um, the way that it was set up. Um, but it kind of hasn't, in some ways, hasn't changed a lot since it was set up. I think the kind of the principles are sort of the same. It's like we're quite, um, I would say, we're quite strict about how we – approach doing a news podcast. We're quite strict in how long we want it to be. We're quite disciplined um, in how we go about setting stakes
2: and storytelling. And from your time there, what are the biggest lessons you've had on audio journalism that you can just share with people? Um, It's all preparation, really.
1: Um, That's the biggest thing with interviewing. Um, I generally will know what I want to get out of every interview before I go in Um, I will have done mock interviews definitely for bigger ones um, where the producer pretends to be the person I'm interviewing Um, the I have like the beats of the story that we're trying to tell in my head Um, and I often ask the same question in a lot of different ways. If I don't think that I'm really getting to the heart of the story or a person isn't really saying what I think that, they th- what they really think, um, often if you just ask a question, um, a slightly different version of the same question, you'll end up kind of getting, um, getting what, yeah, getting the real story from someone. Um, I'd say there's also, I think, real power in just listening to someone properly. Uh, I think that is something that I've, Um, Yeah, I've really kind of come to understand um, just the very act of, you know, like actively hearing someone kind of loosens something. It creates some sort of little magic thing where you're
2: kind of creating something. The best panels that I did because I did a lot of panels at the Writers' Festival were those which actually weren't super prepared, Mm. where it was an actual conversation. You could tell the person was listening and reacting. Mm. But then when you go into an interview, how much do you go in with a list of questions and how much do you just kind of throw those questions away and wing it? Uh,
1: I think we've had a bit more, well, I've had a bit more flexibility, particularly with the political interviews that we've been doing. Um, They have been less planned and there's more, I think, leeway to kind of, wait and see what is said and respond and react and direct as you go um but some of the more kind of reporter interviews that we do they're quite um like i know exactly what i want from those interviews normally so there's a a real variation there between kind of having this sort of discipline that we have to get the show the way that we know that we want it versus me having the kind of leeway to be able to lead an interview in, in the direction that i want to and often you know like when you're surprised that's a good thing and it makes for good audio as well so it's a real balance
2: Mm. and you know for people who are entering the industry now what are the things that you wish you'd known when you started off in journalism? Um, I think
1: I think I was told a lot that I should be reading um, a lot of news sources and reading the newspaper a lot and I took too long to, to really actually understand that, <laughs> that I needed to do that all the time. Um, I think I just sort of thought that I could let my interests guide me but it's not enough like you need to you just need to read everything you need to like I mean I have I don't know 10 different news subscriptions and that's because I'm also in daily news now but I think just in general no matter what kind of storytelling you want to do I think that that is much more important than I realized when
2: I was a bit younger. <laughs> yeah. So what's your news day? Like, what do you read or listen to and in what kind of order?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I listen to Radio National every morning. Um, I mean, it's all been politics lately. So it's yeah. my diet for the last kind of six weeks has been basically Radio National campaign catch up on like the full story. Um, and then I kind of skim through all the other daily news podcasts, so ABC News, um, Daily, The Daily sometimes. Um, there's a few others as well. And then I have subscriptions to um, The Age, um, New York Times. Like I just check all of them basically. (laughs) Um, which you don't have to do if you're not in daily news but I do think that you have to be reading quite widely yeah Um, and also the other thing that I think I didn't really it took me kind of a while to realise is that you have to really put yourself out there quite a lot when you're starting out. And it's really hard to do because you don't necessarily have the confidence or all of the skills yet, but it kind of doesn't matter. You just have to do it anyway because no one else is going to do it. And I I found that really difficult. Um, I, like, I was quite shy. I was quite anxious. I didn't really know how to do it. Um, And I just had to force myself over and over and over again to like reach out to people. Um, Like I think, early on when I kind of knew I wanted to be a journalist one of the things that I did was um, I was just shy and I didn't want to kind of approach strangers and so I like volunteered at the comedy festival you know those people that hand out flyers the really annoying ones I was one of those because I was just like it'll force me to just approach strangers and I just need to get over this barrier that
2: I have. So when you say put yourself out there what what do you actually mean I mean Introducing yourself to people, or finding mentors, or being on social media, or pitching stories to editors, or, or, or exactly what?
1: Yeah, I guess a combination of all of those things. I think um, you need to uh, like go to events and try and talk to people. <laughs> it's horrible, and I hate doing it sort of this day, but I think that is a really A kind of important way to to build networks and you kind of i think have to hassle people and it is uncomfortable to do um but i i think you need to kind of like obviously chase internships and when you get them you have to go and like ask him for another internship and then you have to ask them for like a job and i remember hating it like really really hating it but i just don't
2: see how else you can kind of get anywhere but when you're at the start of your career when you don't have that much sort of published work Mm, yeah to offer how do you hassle people and you know how do you how do you go about sort of putting yourself out there
1: yeah it's a really good question I mean I think obviously whatever you do at uni that is published is super helpful um so like you know the student newspaper and um Like radio and all of that like every every bit of that counts i mean i was told that heaps when i was at uni um and i did do some but i probably didn't do enough it's so important it really will just open doors like whenever um audio places are hiring they go to um you know to these like local student radio stations and that's where like the the talent pool comes from like almost every producer that i have worked with at triple j um at the abc uh like it It's all all of these people started out community radio, so I, yeah, you can't
2: really overemphasize I think how like how useful that can be. Just back to the election, just one more big big picture question. Do you think that it will change the way political coverage works, the fact that actually it seems the media didn't do a very good job mm. of of covering the campaign or the election. Do you think we'll we'll see it changes? Yeah,
1: I guess it depends on how self-reflective <laughs> journalists are willing to be. I suppose. I mean, I think you can look at the U.S. and the the kind of lessons that were we'll learned from the Trump era and political coverage there, and I think some similar stuff applies here. Um, I think, like whether or not it's actually going to change, though, I I don't know. I don't necessarily think that it
2: will, to be totally honest. And what about 7am? What did you guys learn from, will
1: you make changes? It should change what we are doing and the the types of stories that we do. Like, yeah, I don't actually really know um, what we're going to do differently, but we're 100% thinking, I suppose, about the, like the issues rather than the politics, if that makes sense. I think we're trying to divorce those two kind of things um, because the political contest is now over for the time being so it's going to be very much you know looking at you know whatever issues we think are the most important issues that are going to arise in the next weeks or months or whatever
0: that was ruby jones you can subscribe to 7am wherever you get your podcasts the yarn is from the center for advancing journalism at the university of melbourne it's produced on the land of the wurundjeri people of the kulin nation a massive thank you to ruby jones Our executive producer is Louisa Lin. See you next week.